0: Welcome to the second episode of Work, Rest and Pay. This is an audio series where we explore and discuss and debate some of the HR and pay challenges of our time. I'm Laura Whipfler and I'm the External Communications Manager at ADP-UK and I'm joined in each one of these episodes by Jeff Phipps, General Manager also at ADP-UK and each time we have a guest uh, participant. So today um, we are delighted to be joined by Nicholas Gribbon, who is HR Director um, at DB Group, um, one of ADP's clients. Uh, DB Group is an award-winning utilities and environmental consultancies and telecom service provider based in Scotland, I've been told, but operating throughout the UK. Uh, So you're very welcome, Nicholas, to this episode. Um, Just to say, Nicholas has quite a seasoned background in HR. He set up the HR function in D-Group, but he's got over a decade of experience in the area. And he also, in his current role, has a few more areas under his hat, i.e. payroll, safety, compliance, and legal within the, the group function. So he tells me he enjoys the diversity of the role. So, again, very welcome, Nicholas, to this episode. Thanks, Laura. So today we are going to continue our conversation around some of the findings that came out of the ADP's Workforce View Volume 2 research. Um, again, just as a reminder, this is a annual publication. Um, this year, however, there was a second volume um, produced due to the onset of the pandemic. Um, the research is conducted by the ADP Research Institute and um, they survey um, about 11,428 workers across six countries Um, and this second tranche of research was taken between the 28th of April and the 14th of May 2020 so it very much looks at so the impact and effects of the pandemic on employees attitudes uh, towards I suppose the current world of work and the future um, in the in the context of um, that changed environment that we are all operating in so today to kick us off we are going to look at what the findings in that report are around increased um, overtime so employees spending more time unpaid um, on uh, working, I guess, um, with the onset of the pandemic. So the the survey itself asks the question: On average, how many hours per week do you believe you work for free? Um, so that's, I suppose, a a pretty open-ended question that can be interpreted in many different ways. But in the in the context of um, the onset of COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, the findings um, that came out were that, um, in fact, the unpaid overtime work uh, work had increased on average by an hour. So for the for that average, that's six so increase from six to seven hours a week. Um, I suppose the the other part to that is that the research highlighted um, that about a fifth of the workers that were surveyed um, were now saying that they worked 11 or more hours um, for no extra pay each week. So that was quite a, I suppose, an uplift um, and an uplift definitely since the onset of the pandemic. So previously it had been 15% Of workers saying that they were working eleven hours or more, so I guess the findings are not surprising in many ways. Um, There could be many, many reasons, um, but I suppose in the context of um, the the world we find ourselves in, there could be um, aspects of sort of demonstrating worth. There could be aspects of not being able to switch off, as we've all been, or many of us have been working sort of from home. Um, and I think more and more we're sort of reading about sort of the onset of some symptoms of burnout and categories of, of workers. Um, so my first question really, um, which I'll direct firstly to, to Jeff, is with I suppose the you know several months in um, and the sort of increase in in potentially extra hours, extra stress, extra strains. Do you think it's now time um, for for employers to keep a closer eye on that? Or has maybe, you know, have the last few months perhaps, you know, led to a natural evolution of of that happening um, due to the changes in environments?
1: Uh, I think the the expression keep a closer eye on it, um, Laura, is um, an interesting one. There have been... um, one of the things that's clearly thrown up some challenges here is that for many of us, we've moved. Um, we've not just had to deal with a pandemic, it, it, but we've we've also massively changed the way that we're working. So, you know, I think it's around 40 percent of people in the UK that are um, working from home um, that would have been office based um, beforehand. And we have, although the, there are um, some of those offices are starting to reopen now, there's still huge numbers of people that are, are working from home. And that was done at, at short notice without... Um, a great deal of time to to fully prepare for that. Now, some companies have had flexible working for some time, so there's some used to it. They're used to it, but a lot of people and their managers are not used to. They're used to being in an office environment and working that way. So, what does keeping an eye on them mean um, when you are not sharing the same physical space that you would have done? There are some companies that have. Um, uh, taken that to mean that we actually want to monitor what people are doing, um, and that's that seems to have had a bit of a backlash against it. Um, people feel that they're, you know, that they're sort of big brother, those sort of things. Uh, it comes back to, uh, you know, have you got good levels of of sort of trust in your organisation where, you know, employees can talk openly with managers about what their work levels are like. Um, the other thing that's happening, of course, is that. Um, because of just the effect this has had on uh, different parts of the economy, you could get some people within the same company, even doing a similar job, whose workload has dramatically increased, um, and then others whose workload has actually decreased. So trying to manage that is quite challenging. So I think we've got to um, just be careful that we, we really look at all the sort of aspects of what's happening here, all the different dynamics, uh, and – Yes, be driven by, of course, what is going to be the best outcome for our employees, because ultimately we're relying, you know, on them to, to help us so, serve our clients. But um, we've got to be sort of driven by that. But I think for me, um, it's really about trying to understand what are the the best management practices. We talk a lot at ADP about rather than is checking in rather than checking up. Um, So really, that's got an underlying sort of basis of trust to it so that people can communicate openly about how they're getting on. If you can have that dialogue with people, that to me is, um, you know, how I would interpret your keeping an eye on it, on it phrase rather than actually sort of some form of uh, digital monitoring or whatever.
0: Yeah. Great. Uh, And and Nicholas, what's your take on this? What, What are your experiences or what? What what supports um, have you been looking at in DB Group in this area,
2: if any? So I think um, from our perspective, one of the the biggest concerns that we've had as an organization is that it it is very challenging for people to switch off when they're working from home. We were lucky, um, or we had well planned out, the fact that the technology that was required to work from home was something that we had had in place for quite some time. However, I think Jeff is right in what he's saying that a lot of organisations maybe didn't necessarily have the mentality or the experience of working from home. So that was a bit of a culture shock for some of our team, where a lot of our roles were not used to working in a home environment or remotely. So where some of our outbound salespeople initially um, who weren't furloughed at the start of lockdown, um, they were used to working out and about and working on a remote basis with their lay managers. They were fine. Some of our senior leaders were quite used to working on a remote basis because they were quite often out and about too, but um, our more office-based staff, they initially found it a bit of a struggle, so that took some adjusting to, and also their their line managers needed to adjust their leadership styles as well, so that was a, a bit of a culture shock and required a change in communication using video communication tools like Microsoft Teams, Zoom, et cetera, that was something that became very quickly required for them to adapt to. But I think what you said as well there, Jeff, about the check-in style as opposed to checking up was also something that was very important. So actually having regular contact and communication, not necessarily to find out what it is that you're doing and actually get to account for themselves, but just to see how they are and find out how they're getting on on a daily basis, and be open and transparent, and just have a, an open and honest conversation. That was something that became very quickly evident that was needed for people, but also talking about how they're coping, you know, how they're feeling, their emotional well wellbeing. Um, mental health has been a massive, massive concern for us as a business, and we've tried to put steps in place as best we can um, by signposting and sending out regular information and communications around, where you can get help and access to more resources and information. So signposting to some of the resources that are available in Scotland. So NHS Inform has a lot of information and resources for reading spaces, a telephone support line that you can access, the Samaritans as well. Um, and then the Scottish Association for Mental Health website has other resources too. We have mental health first aiders in the business as well. So making sure that people know where to go if they are struggling in that regard, because obviously during lockdown, it can be quite stressful and put an awful lot of pressure on you as well as trying to maintain your work and your productivity. But um, one of the other things that we have done, as much as, I don't like the phrase big brother, but um, making sure that people aren't necessarily working themselves into the ground, because I think there has been an element when people were furloughed, that there were additional tasks that needed to get picked up. Mm. Um, We wanted to make sure that people weren't necessarily working too much outside of working hours, um, so there were occasional checks made to see that people weren't doing huge, massive amounts of work outside normal core business hours. So just by running a report, and if there were um people working to a, a large extent outside core hours, then it would just be a conversation with their land manager or with HR, just to say, "Look, is there any reason that you've been doing these extra hours? Do you need any additional support?" Not coming down on them and you know interrogating them about it, but just finding out. What was going on and if they needed additional support so not trying to go in with the, the big brother viewpoint and everybody knows that, that 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 system's in place as well because of the technology that we use so it's just taking that supportive tact making sure that we're there to look after them and try and help them as best we can
0: right and is that something you were doing sort of at the beginning or you routinely do i suppose you know we're sort of in a in a strange place at the moment where we don't know, you know, sort of economic uncertainties and uncertainties around second waves and things. So there might be sort of pressure back on um, the latter part of the year. So do you, do you envisage sort of continuing with, with that?
2: Certainly. Sort
0: of mo- mild moderate um, monitoring, I guess, of, of how- checking in. <laughs> oh,
2: the, support, the support of check-in and certainly the m- maintaining a being checks to make sure that people aren't overdoing it because there's no point in people working themselves into the ground because all you will end up is that that burnout scenario we yeah. need to make sure that we have a, a happy and healthy workforce and I commend anybody that is dedicated and committed and really wants to do the job and do it well but I, I don't want any of our people to be in a place where they feel like they need to work until 12 o'clock at night or anything like that. That's just, that's not what we want. We, we want people to be able to come and do their, their, their contract hours. Maybe occasionally they have to do an extra half an hour here in there. But, you know, we want people to be able to do their job in the time that they're given to do it.
0: Yeah. Is there anything you would add to, to that? <laughs> well, You're I, I,
1: to? I think actually the only thing i did there is, uh, I, I think, um. I want people to be able to do their jobs in, in the sort of time, but also we also have to recognize that for many of them that the, they're also trying to juggle other things as well. So I think flexibility needs to be a, a part of that as well. So, um, you know, we've got to try and figure out, you know, we've got a number of people that are, you know, also trying to, you know, at, you know homeschool got young children. Maybe they've got um, elderly relatives that are looking after a whole range of different circumstances. So. Um, we have to really try to make sure that they um, that the we're signalling strongly that we understand that and that we um, want to support that as best as we can and try and find a balance through that. So I think so flexibility is the only thing that that I would add in into that.
0: Yeah, sure. It's part of a more holistic, I suppose, approach um, to it. Uh, okay, so then I suppose moving moving on slightly to that. Big Brother type scenarios. So, legislating in the area. So, we've had, um, I suppose, the Working Time Directive. For I think is it thirty years now. So, it's been around for a while. Um, but. The European Court of Justice um, did come out with, with a, a ruling around basically EU member states having to keep accurate records, um, I suppose, within a system, a more formalized way um, of, of recording employees' hours. Now, it's not something that has sort of come into, into force or has sort of transcended into um, into working um, a working model on the ground at the moment. Um, and I suppose we know that with the transition period, um, the UK may, may take a very different road um, next year. But um, I suppose I wanted to get from both of you your sort of take on legislating uh, two measures um, that are sort of a blanket measure uh, to monitor um, the, the time being spent um, not being above the 48-hour limit. What, Jeff, do you make of that? I can sense perhaps you wouldn't be in favour of that. <laughs> What you
1: said. <laughs> I think you. I think you know. What I like to do is to start by saying what problem am I trying to solve? Yeah. And you know, um, if we are saying that the problem is that we don't want people working more than I think you know uh, average working hour, working weeks what thirty-seven. If you take a thirty-seven hour week and this is going to limit it to forty-eight hours, um, so are we saying that there's a problem if you work more than ten and a half hours extra a week, right? And and What's the, you know? I think the danger with that is that's taking a very blanket approach. Um, that that might not that might be a good thing in certain circumstances, but in others it could um, it could actually you know rob people of flexibility or doing what what they actually want to do. So I'll give you an example. Would be. Uh, You can have project type work, for example, that just peaks in certain points in the projects. And the people actually really love those projects and they want to put the hours in. They want to get the project live. And it it matters enormously um, to their organization, whether it's small or large. Um, I can certainly remember talking to a software firm recently and they said, you know, when we've got to get a software release out, we have to make that or we don't make payroll, right? So, you know, it's it's creating, uh, you know, for some of those organizations, it could be creating a, a pressure which is un is unhelpful and really not. And I question what it's actually solving if it's just going to be uh, short, you know, relatively short periods of time. But others, of course, um, then it could it could absolutely protect people from um, from you know in a sense. I think you know people being asked to work too long is a form of um, could could be seen as a form of abuse, quite frankly. So I, I'm worried that it's you know you set, use the term sort of blanket approach. I think that good companies look after their employees. They know that they are, you know, this kind of often used phrase of their greatest asset, but they genuinely are. And they know that they've got to look after those employees or they're gonna lose them. And so I think it's, you know, intelligent adults will figure that out and figure out what the right terms to use are. I think that there's a danger that we will implement blanket, um, a form of bureaucracy that adds time and cost to companies um, and and i question what it's actually trying to solve whereas i would rather we say where are the real problems you know you know we've got things like we've had tachometers on lorries for 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 a long long time now because we don't want the risk that when we're driving along in our car the the lorry driver behind us has been at the wheel for 14 hours right so there are there's health and safety that we need to look at here so where are the roles that we this is going to cause a real problem uh you know real health and safety risk um and back to nicholas's point about you know mental wellness where is it we we know that people actually are quite good at, at short bursts of extra effort um they often do do well on that what they are not good at doing is actually sustained periods of time where they're working, you know, really, really long hours over sustain. That's really bad for their mental wellbeing. So um, I just think it's, you know, it's important that we don't just have a one size fits all approach to how we solve this. We're clear on what we're trying to solve and we figure out how to have the right solutions for the right problem.
0: Okay, Nicholas, what's, what's your take on on this particular aspect?
2: Do you know, um... I tend to agree with you there, Jeff, on majority of those points. The one thing I would say is um, the, the fact that the European Court of Justice has obviously made this ruling, the UK will have to make their own legislation off the back of that. They're still kind of treading water with it as it stands just now. They've not made any particular recommendations. And then at the end of the transition period, they, they will then have to make their own mind up as to where we go from there because once we have effectively moved on from the EU, it will be up to them to decide what new legislation to put in place around working time. And that is one of the things that have been earmarked according to CIPD is that, that they may quite radically change how they look at working time. Um, the one thing I would say is I agree in the sense that, yes, sustained short bursts of working additional time, yeah, we can do that quite well. Um, it's the sustained periods of uh, working excessively that can be a problem. I think we're we're okay at at doing that. My biggest concern is where we we have this jigsaw puzzle of working time where we don't necessarily manage holidays correctly is where I have an issue with it. We don't let people have holidays or where we don't ensure that people take their holidays properly. I agree and I acknowledge that there's a responsibility on the employee and the employer together though. And I see it all too often where People get towards the end of their holiday year and their annual leave isn't taken properly and either there's no carryover rule in, in place for the additional entitlement um, and they don't manage to take it all and there's just that level of suffering that's there and there's a health and safety component there as well. So I think that there needs to be that element that's very important that goes in with the the actual working hours per week um, and I think there is it's incumbent on the employer to make sure that annual leave is being taken properly, and that there, there isn't sustained periods of people working to a fairly ridiculous extent, week in, week out, but it's, it's how you manage that sensibly without taking yeah. the, the the Big Brother approach is a challenge. But I think it comes from a, a, a culture um, from the top down, and you need to set the right example. Mm-hmm. And I, I will put my hands up and say that occasionally I've been guilty of this in the past myself. Um, you know, going into a business to set up an HR function from scratch on your own at the start, it, it can be a challenge. You've got a lot to do, and you know that you you do you you think goodness me, there's you literally have everything to do from from the <laughs> beginning to ground up. done. So um, I I probably did a bit more than I should have at the beginning, but I'm now learning that. By doing that, it sends the wrong message to everybody else. And I can't then challenge somebody by saying, look, you've, you've not taken your annual leave here. You know, how, how are your team going to look at that? And then they turn around and say, well, how much annual leave did you take last year? So it, it does. It, it needs to be a culture that is set by the leadership of a business. And then that needs to cascade throughout. So I, I have a, I have a, um,
1: my personal experience on that was just, um, I, 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 I think it's you're conditioned by your experiences. And um, I have for uh, a big chunk of my career, you know, worked pretty long hours. And some of that was, I don't know, I'm, I hesitate to use the word sort of macho, but it was sort of almost a case of, you know, how much stamina did you have, you know, show that you've got the endurance to sort of do the extra hours or whatever for big parts of my career. And I, I made a point, um, you know, in the last few years of actually, Leaving early on a on a Friday so that I could get back and and see my kids um, and my wife as well. Um, but, um, <laughs> that, yeah, better get that in. You know, yeah. um, just in case she listens. Um, but um, I made a point of doing that. But actually, I I sort of described it um, as being like a walk of shame, and I admitted it to my team that I never felt comfortable <laughs> leaving at like. And it, we're talking about walking out of the office at four o'clock on a Friday when you know, I'm typically in, let's just say, you know, a couple of hours before a lot of people and often working longer and traveling and things like that. So I had no reason to be guilty. And yet there was still a feeling of guilt that, you know, people were judging me um, because I was sort of leaving while they were still working. And that sort of I really and I think I certainly, you know, we're not in the office anymore, but um, but I struggled with that, um, uh, you know, that discomfort of that. But there was against that there was a feeling of to, to your point, I, I needed to show that this was okay. And I needed to be quite vocal about the fact that, hey, I've done a long week, so I'm gonna leave a little bit earlier, um, so that I can get some time with my family that i maybe missed out on, on the rest of the week. But um I'm not gonna pretend it's um it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a comfort thing.
2: It's crazy though that you you, you you have that feeling. And I I um I made a point of starting to take my lunch, my full hour for lunch, um, probably at the start of 2018, and I actually live across the road from the office, and so I went home for my lunch every day. I went home for mm-hmm. my, my hour lunch and then came back, and it felt mm-hmm. it, it felt alien and it felt strange to to actually leave the office, walk across the road, and people eventually asked me about it. They were like, "What, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you never, you never. Well, a, you never normally take your full lunch, and b, you never normally." Go go away or go home for lunch, and I'm like, well, I am
1: now. <laughs> I mean, it's you have to laugh Excuse because a, a year later, you know, nobody's I'm saying it's, it. Yeah, none of us are finding it odd to have lunch at home, right? So, no, no. Um, how, how the world has moved on in that time. But yeah,
2: but it's 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 a strange scenario where you feel that you have to justify it to yourself and to others in some sort of vocal or, um, you know, just. A, it's a it's a very odd situation where you have to justify it to anybody, to be honest. Um, when but you I think we've
1: um, so hard. I think we've got to move. It's really interesting that this whole discussion is based on time and hours. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I would say that actually we've got to move away from that and then you get into presenteeism is a big part of this, right? So mm. you know, I think actually what what really we should be asking ourselves is a couple of things. One is we should be sort of saying, okay, what, we should be having more value-based conversations and, you know, to me, it should be about what's the value that people are bringing to the business. And that should be our sort of focus rather than the number of hours, because let's face it, people could be sitting at a desk but being quite unproductive. The second thing, that, um, just coming back to the, the time directive, if our problem is that people are working unpaid overtime, then, you know, surely the one of the questions you'll be asking is why are they having to spend more time than we've contracted them to to get the job done? So, That's is a that a training issue? Is that a technology issue? Those to me should be, I, I worry that some of this legislation um, is actually almost kind of pointing us in the wrong direction where we continue to obsess on, you know, hours rather than actual sort of value creation and how we can help people to be more productive.
0: That's really insightful from you both. Thank you. Um, I suppose finally um, we're sort of nearly at time, but just wanted to um, acknowledge, um, I suppose, the, the payroll professions <laughs> professionals. Um, given that I suppose you know we're we're in that industry um, at this time, I suppose the the fact that you know payroll professionals were quite early on deemed to be sort of key workers and had quite a lot to deal with in terms of the JRS and the the second tranches of FFS or whatever all the acronyms are that have come out of that period of, of sort of anxiety where there was lots of complexities that needed to be added into um, a running payroll and keeping Britain paid. Um, I suppose just more for you, Nicholas. Um, you know, are you sort of seeing? We've, we've touched on a little bit sort of the signs of burnout amongst your profession, amongst sort of HR and, and payroll professionals. And you know, do you have any sort of tips or support mechanisms that you've tapped into um, during this period, and have have things settled down?
2: I would say uh, there probably has been elements of uh, burnout amongst the the profession. Certainly, in my own network, I've I've seen and spoken to several of my peers who have gone through quite stressful periods. As I mentioned earlier on, there, were, there was an awful lot of concerns around job security for many of our teams and our colleagues. And certainly, if, I know for some of my colleagues, my peers, that for themselves too. So that, that was a difficult time um, and continues to be for many of us. So the, the looking after yourself, making sure that self-care is there, tapping into resources, that some of which I've mentioned already, but also um, CIPD gave access to their members um, to an employee assistance program, um, Health Assured, which is brilliant, uh, to be honest, because obviously we're not employees of CIPD, but having that on tap is just fantastic. So you can talk to trained mental health professionals uh, at 24 hours a day. So that's just fabulous membership benefit to have. Um, and I've, I've made use of that myself as well. So that's that's been great. But also just you know making sure that you take the time yourself just to reflect on what's been going on, exercise, getting enough sleep. You know, it's just some of the basics, the fundamentals that sometimes you let slip, and I've yep. been guilty of that. Um yep. it's, It is important. Um. Whether or not things have settled down, I, I think they are gradually. I think uh, when <laughs> when the JRS changed <laughs> from having the uh, national insurance and pension contributions. Um, that that yeah. improved things a bit because calculating the pension, the national insurance contributions, was a bit of an, a bit of a nightmare. I'll be honest. Um, but uh, no, that's uh, that's made things a little bit easier now. But um, obviously, we're we're still in difficult times, and we continue to be, and will continue for some time going forward. Um, but we will continue to work through it with the support of our uh, our teams, our our friends, and. Um, uh with some positivity to go forward through
0: it yeah yeah um yeah so unless uh, you've any final final words on on that front jeff
1: i think um i just i want to say um uh actually i i'm our industry is not always, always has the most glamorous reputation but i've been really proud to be part of this industry over you know this period of time um and regardless of whether you're actually you know whether you're a um someone who's working in payroll for um you know for a, a client if you're somebody that's working for payroll for us or and even for for one of our competitors i think that they've everyone's done a tremendous job of getting through um a difficult time where we've had one accelerated change you you know nicholas has talked about legislation changes and and the calculation issues that have come up but i also think you know we we've been dealing with people that are under a lot we've been doing that whilst dealing with people who are under stress so the the payroll managers are the ones who really get sight of what's happening to people's jobs what's happening to their hours what's happening to their pay so you know that, that there's a sort of a reality of them being really confronted with that perhaps in a way that an awful lot of people in in businesses don't get to see in one place so i think that i'm really proud of how our industry has got through this and that really when we talk about our industry our industry is about people so that how people have just really recognized the importance of what they're doing you know more than ever and just got on with the job um so i think it's been I think we should just sort of, you know, it's important to give a shout out to everybody that's that's been doing that
0: yeah absolutely and uh, this recording is actually going out um, during national payroll week um, next week so people listening in will hopefully get that opportunity to, to take a little bit of a time out um, and to celebrate the important work that they have been doing um, during this period and, and throughout really and um, wishing you Nicholas, a happy national payroll week as well in that context thank um, you yeah, so um, that's really it for today. If you would like to learn more about these, um, this research, please visit the Bridge, our online client community, if you are an ADP client, or you can head over to uk.adp.com forward slash WFV 2020, always mouthful, to download your copy. Um, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.